Welcome to Eurocron, a podcast about people whose names you may not be familiar with now, but you will remember their stories. Hi, I'm Scott Pitney, the host for Eurocron. So, without further ado, let's jump right into our next extraordinary story. Welcome back to Eurocron. So we're here with Captain Riley and his, and his trusted deckhand for, for a long time, Davis. And uh, we are in beautiful Port Aransas, Texas, and uh, we're going to do some deep sea fishing. Or maybe fishing the jetties. We don't know. Oh, look, there's a couple dolphins right there. So, well, welcome to Eurocron, guys. Sorry, I'm sorry? I said welcome to Eurocron. Oh, oh, hello, hello. I mean, good. Great, yeah. great to be on here. It's good. I think it's pretty cool. Pretty bad. Yeah. That's our Captain Riley. Davis, welcome. Hey, hey, how y'all doing, everybody? I'm glad to be here, too. I think it, I'm glad he's here, man. I'm trying to see, show everybody what we're doing out here and having some fun. Hopefully, we'll get some more people to come visit. Absolutely, yeah. So, we'll, we'll put some information about the dolphin fishing experience on your cron and uh, get some more folks to come out, come out here and um, we were out here, I guess a little uh, less than a year ago, about nine months ago, had a great time. Uh, we went out about, what was it, about five miles? About five miles, yes, sir. Yeah, we fished the uh, uh, rig out there and uh, caught a little bit of everything. Caught some snapper, caught some bonnethead shark, caught some stingray. By the way, I tried that stingray and it does not taste like scallops. <laughs> <laughs> well, I apologize about that, brother. You, you got to cook it the right way, man. You should have let me cook it for you. Okay, well, let's talk about that a second because uh, I don't, you know, I just went online and found some recipes. And, you know, it didn't taste bad, but I, I hear people say that it tastes like scallops and it was a little, the texture wasn't the same, but it really wasn't too bad. How would you cook it? Me, mostly, I, I kind of marinated. I let mine marinate over a day. Kind of, after you, after you get your fillets, you know, you get your cookie cutter, cut, cut up your little pieces or whatever, put up whatever spices you want on it. But uh, before I get to the spices, like I said, I let mine soak in buttermilk for a day after I take my little mallet and beat it up for a minute, just to kind of soften it up a little bit because it is kind of rough, you know? You let it sit there for like a day of, day and a half or whatever, put your spices on it, and I do mine in the oven. I throw mine in the oven, bread it up, put it in the oven for like, I don't know, like an hour and a half maybe. Make it pretty low temperature. Right, pretty good temperature. Like maybe 350, 375. Uh, you can't go wrong, man. Yeah, and I, I completely did not cook mine like the, anything like that at all. So that's probably, in fact, I, I tried to make a Thai soup with it. It just, oh, it, it wasn't happening. But, uh, um, but the shark, the bonnethead shark now, uh, I followed, of course, the recipe online. It said to soak it in milk, marinate it in milk for I don't know how long. But, but I actually did it twice. I did. Uh, one day uh, marinated in milk, then I drained all that, put some fresh milk in there. Man, it was delicious. I mean, it no fish, no game taste, nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely, that's one that I love to eat. Um, you can ask the captain, when we get out here, we'll go on to them. I'll be excited to have them because it's like, oh, yeah, it's some pretty good tasting fish. Like, you can't go wrong with it. You can bake it, you can fry it, you can grill it. Like, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all good, no matter how how you cook it on that one, you know. Yeah. So, how do you like? Uh, you got anything to add to the the recipe, Captain Riley, for shark or uh, stingray? All right. On the stingray part, it is a 
whenever whenever you fillet it out it's a bunch of strips right but just like in a shark right they only have two big muscles they got a top muscle and they got the bottom muscle that bloodline runs right down the center of it you cut the bloodline out it's fine well what a lot of people don't do is whenever they start cutting into that stingray all of those little slivers those are all individual muscles and every little muscle's got that same little bloodline going all the way down it a lot of people make the mistake you know they'll start cutting off a big chunk you know like oh a big fish fillet in reality it's not really like that cut down that make you a little strip a little skinny strip and uh the way i do it is just like doing a steak you know add you a little bit of sesame a little bit of everything put you some onions melt you down some butter in it and you know how you can uh cook your steak on like each side for like 60 seconds do it that same way and then for that last little minute you know dip that butter over onto it let let all the juice and stuff kind of soak into it and then once you cut that bloodline out that fishy taste it won't be nearly as bad is that what is that what had happened whenever you cooked yours well i i just uh you know i didn't know anything about the bloodline i kind of relied on how they filleted at the dock should i should i was that bloodline still in there after they filleted i mean do you do you know to what extent they uh, filleted prepared for actually eating when they filleted at the dock well all right so you know they say fine fillet and stuff at the dock and it is fine fillet they cut the they cut the rib meat out of it they cut all the bones and stuff out of it but that doesn't necessarily mean like oh i can just take it out of the bag throw it in the pan and it's straight ready to go you know yeah and that's what i did right <laughs> right i did everything wrong i should have called you guys before i cooked what was i thinking <laughs> okay and uh how about the shark any any uh tricks or recipes you want to share about the shark well all right i know that there's I could be wrong on this, but from, just from my knowledge, there's only two sharks that have a, uh, a urinary tract. They don't, they do not pee out of their skin. So whenever you eat a shark, you have a strong ammonia taste and stuff in them. That's because they're, they're actually urinating out of their skin. The two sharks that do is a mako shark and a thresher shark. They have a urinary tract. That's why everybody's like, oh yeah, I want to catch a mako. I want to eat a mako shark. And it's, it's for that exact reason. The, all of the meat in it, no matter whether you cut the bloodline out of it or not, it does not, it, there's no ammonia taste. It doesn't matter. You can get a solid chunk out of it. And, you know, you don't have to worry about anything. Same thing with a thresher, but I think thresher sharks are down. I, I don't think you're allowed to keep them down here in Texas. I'm not, I'm not real sure on that law. I've never caught one before. But, uh, well, that sounds real appetizing, a uh, fish that urinates out of its skin. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, the, for me, the, the milk thing worked well and, and that that all tasted good so well let's talk about you guys for a second your your experience fishing and uh how long i know you guys have been a, a team for a while we talked about that a little bit last time yes sir yes sir uh been working with riley for over a year now and i love it you know when i started here i didn't i didn't even know how to fish when i started you know so every everything was brand new i was nervous but just so happened I had a good captain, you know, he sat there, he talked with me, he told me everything I needed to know. And ever since then, it's been great. I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine doing nothing else. I love being out here on the water. I love working with my captain, you know, he's a great guy. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better, you know what I mean? I could, you couldn't pay me to go do none of my old jobs, I can tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I can tell you genuinely love your job and you make it a lot of fun for us, which is one of the reasons I'm, I'm up here talking to you guys. I'm, I'm so privileged to you because uh, I enjoyed it so much last time and uh, um, I will. I kind of wish I would have been recording when you were talking to us starting off. He, he's got, uh, Davis has got a great sense of humor. He started off by saying, 
I got a serious question for everybody. Well, instead of me repeating it, why don't you uh, just kind of tell us what you said? I thought it was hilarious. Uh, well, of course I got to ask can everybody swim because I cannot swim, you know? <laughs> so that's a very important question. That's the first question when you get on the boat before I give my safety speech. Can everybody swim? Because if you can't, um, then we both in some trouble, you know what I mean? <laughs> you, you just want to know who to cling on to. I got you. That's a, <laughs> that is a very important question. So... Uh, Captain Riley, how long have you been? Uh, how long have you been doing this? Uh, well, I started out just as a deckhand. I'm still pretty young. I've had my license for pretty close to almost two years now, I guess. But uh, I started out just as a deckhand. I'm still, you know, changing seasons and changing all the times and everything. Everything changes up. Fishing changes up. Right now, I guess it's still kind of winter time. But uh, you know, we're fixing to roll back over in the summer, just like last time. Whenever you came out here. Really, our target today is we're gonna try to get out there, try and get some sheephead. We've been doing pretty good here lately. Uh, this morning we went out, caught about 37 of them or 39 of them. We did pretty good, and uh, that's pretty much what we're gonna be after today. Uh, we might get a few snapper, but uh, right now sharks and stuff they're not really in. Water temperatures are still pretty cold. I think it's like it'll tell me on here. It's probably about 67, 66 degrees right now. Yeah, and the shark are, are mostly in the summertime. Uh, what, what water temperature do you start seeing the shark get more active? Really right at about 72 to 74 degrees. That's probably prime water temperature. You know, I mean, that's that's whatever my favorite thing is. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it could happen on a pretty sunny day if the water temperature just raises up one degree and they're deciding to come in shore. You know, it could happen. We might get one. We could get one today. If we catch a bait, if we catch a jackfish or something going out, We'll, uh, we'll for sure put out a bait. I know uh, I know the NOAA, the NOAA people, they've tagged a couple of Mako sharks and they've been all the way, not even four miles off the beach. I mean, they come in pretty close and the Mako shark is a colder water shark. So, I mean, the possibilities today are pretty much endless. And NOAA is the uh, National Oceanic Administrative, uh, so, uh, same as the weather, yeah. uh, that, that yeah. NOAA? Yeah, that NOAA, same NOAA. Okay, I, I did not know that they did that. I thought they were just, well, I know they're uh, ocean, but I didn't realize to that, to that extent they get into actually the animals and stuff. Um, I always kind of thought that was more of marine biology and that kind of stuff. So that's pretty interesting to know that. Right, yes, sir. Well, it's actually, it's kind of, they do do it together, but they they offsource, they outsource it, I guess you could say. Like at Texas and Corpus, whenever I was going there, they had uh, the Heart Foundation, but we worked, worked with the same people. But they would give us like acoustic tags and the paperless tags and everything, and that's what that's what we tagged them with. But they do have some nice acoustic tags, and as soon as they breach water, it sends us a signal. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they work together, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, very good. Well, let's talk about sheephead for a second, because a lot of people uh, may not know what those are, but uh, those are uh, very interesting-looking fish, especially their teeth. They look human. Yeah. Yeah, they look human. Um, pretty fun fish to fight. You know, like kind of got like a black and white stripe on them. Got to be very careful when you handle them because they got spikes everywhere, you know. But uh, they're pretty good tasting fish, you know. Um, I cook them for my kids all the time. They love them. Yeah, I cook them. They uh, cut them in the little fillets I get. I cut them in half and they think they're little chicken nuggets or something half the time they're eating them. So, like I said, they're pretty good to eat. Um, how do you cook your uh, sheep's head? 
I fry them. I fry them. Got to fry it. Uh, put a little Cajun season on that little lemon pepper. Yeah. And I baked mine last time because I'd never eaten one. So I, I just like to bake it to kind of get the pure taste of the fish. And uh, Man, they were really good. I mean, uh, they're not really considered a kind of the sexy game fish that most people think of down here in Texas, the redfish and the trout and that kind of stuff. But don't underestimate how, how a sheep set tastes. I think they're delicious. And I have to try the, the chicken fry. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, a lot of people underestimate them because of the size on them or whatever and the way they look. They be like, ah, it's kind of ugly fish. Like, what do they eat on or whatever? But they actually eat pretty good, you know? They don't eat everything off the bottom or whatever. You know, they eat out the barnacles. What it is, um, like the little hermit crabs or whatever it is, they be in the barnacles. Yeah, so they, they eat pretty healthy. So it's not it's not a good, bad, it's not a bad fish to eat at all. Like, a lot of people, I, I, I hate that a lot of people underestimate them the way they do, you know? Yeah, well, I, I do not. I'm, I'm down with the sheep says so. 37 uh, fish, that would be a great afternoon, but uh, I'm happy just to be on the boat myself. <laughs> so, so speaking of the boat, let's talk about the boat a little bit. This boat has some history, does it not, Captain Riley? It, it really does. It was uh, it was made in 1962, I think I think that's what it was. 1962, it used to be like a, uh, I guess a, yeah, a river boat. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a foam-filled hole, it's all fiberglass, it's pretty much indestructible. You know, the walls are probably about a foot thick on it. And it was made to go down the river and take take gunshots, take gunshots on the side of it. Okay. So, uh, are there any bullet holes in this thing? <laughs> uh, maybe not from Vietnam, maybe from some of the tourists that were out here on the jetties got kind of mad at us, but... If you got too close to them, messed up their fishing. Run over some of their lines, got all mad at us. Yes, sir, pretty much. So uh, how many people can fish on this uh, boat, Davis? Uh, up to 15 people at a time. We um, One trip we came out, it was so many people that was buying tickets, we had to come out with like 21 people. It was a little overcrowded, but hey, we still made it happen. We had fun, we caught a lot of fish. Everybody left happy. Yeah, you know? that's, and that's the name of the game. So. So now we're, uh, we just got past the jetties. We're in kind of the real swells that we're looking at today. Uh, Captain, how, how big are these swells? Uh, these are maybe one to two foot, occasional three, but it's not bad. That's all, really the only thing bad right now is everybody up at the front of the boat. It's gonna kind of bury my nose a little bit into the wave, but it'll be all right. They'll get a little bit wet. And how long is this boat, Davis? Uh, 135, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I'm not. I'm not. We'll, we'll go back to Captain Riley. <laughs> <laughs> 130. Hold on, hold on. 135 millimeters. Maybe you're thinking yeah, metric. <laughs> it's about what? About a. It's a 35 foot boat. 35. Yeah. 37, something like that. It's not bad. Our biggest boat's only. Uh, it's only 110. You know, so it's. It's about half of that. And the biggest boat, is that the Dolphin Express? Yes, sir, that's the Dolphin Express. And that, that's the one that goes out for multiple days at a time, correct? Yes, sir. They do a lot of a lot of long-range trips on that boat. Mainly because it is, it's the fastest boat. It's the fastest boat here on the island. And how far out do they go with that boat? Uh, Boomvang and Nansen, Perdido, those rigs, they're about 130 miles. The farthest one, I think, is like 167 miles. I've only ever been there a couple of times, really. 
I, uh, I usually run, I'll do like second captain or something on the Dolphin, and that's one of the slower boats, so, you know, it takes a little bit more time. When the Express is going 167 miles, they'll get there a lot faster than we will get even get to uh, Boom Bang and Nansen. That's only like 137 miles, you know, so. Well, it, how long does it take to get out of 167 miles, generally? On the Dolphin, about pretty close to 12 hours, 13 hours. On the Express, probably only about nine. Yeah. Well, last time we, we, oh, they just got soaked up front. <laughs> uh, that's when I wish this podcast was a video podcast. That would have been great. Uh, they seem to be having fun. Um, so last time we, we fished with you guys, came in on the afternoon that uh, uh, Dolphin Express came in. Man, they, they were, I didn't think they were going to stop bringing fish off that boat. What kind of fish were they, were they uh, I mean, it was everything. It was a lot of variety. Yeah, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Dolphin Express brought in like some groupers and I think a, some tunas, uh, yellowfin tuna, blackfin tunas. I think a couple of mahis, if I ain't mistaken. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure if they had a wahoo or anything like that out there at the time, but it probably was a kingfish I was looking at it, you know, because they all kind of look similar to me. I'm still learning the differences in the fish. I, like I said, I, I'm kind of still new to a bunch of this, you know. Yeah. And we're we're going out what about five miles? Yes, sir. And we, if I remember right, we were fishing in 60 feet of water or so by the rig. How deep is it? <clears throat> 130 to 160 miles out. Like 6,000 foot, 7,000 foot. It's pretty deep. When you start getting out there, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, Lebon and I fished in Cabo um, just this past November. In fact, that's. Uh, podcast you may want to check out it was about a thousand feet of water but you know we were we were close to the shoreline where we are now which I, I bet we were only about a mile out so it drops off real quick and it uh, obviously the Gulf of Mexico it slopes it's not as drastic here so uh, yeah you got to go out a while uh, ways to get in that deep water and uh, it's it pretty interesting with all those different species you can catch Actually, here in the Gulf, I kind of did a little bit of, not necessarily research, but just kind of a guesstimate. It drops off almost about 10 foot every mile. That's that's about what it is. You know, we'll go out, it says 5.96 miles. So, you know, about 60 foot, 65 foot of water. That's just a good kind of estimate you can kind of go off of. Yeah, that's, uh, that is interesting. I've never heard, but, but that makes sense. Now, uh, it drops off faster in different parts uh, along different parts of the Texas coast I've heard like down uh, Brownsville way you can be in a thousand feet of water in a couple hours right yes sir yeah but uh, I guess it's because there's a, the shelf and stuff is right there I mean once you get pretty far down there that's I don't know whatever the shelf it is in California right it runs all the way down those states huh all the way down to Mexico I believe yeah yeah the, the continental shelves yeah, yeah. where the, where they meet and all that and for me, anyway, I think one of the best places to look is on Google Earth, where you can really see the depth of the Gulf, you know, the different shades of blue. And uh, it's, yeah, generally speaking, it's pretty shallow <laughs> around the uh, Texas, along the Texas coastline. So, all right, well, let's talk about fishing a little bit. Let's talk about some memorable uh, fishing experiences. Davis, you want to 
You want to start off on some of your most uh, memorable fishing experiences here on the Flipper? I don't know if we actually said the name of the boat. It's the, the boat is called the Flipper, by the way. The, so uh, memorable experiences on the Flipper. And uh, don't worry about saying anything that you might regret. We can always delete. <laughs> so just speak freely. <laughs> oh, no, I don't, I don't think I say that I regret, but uh, most memorable trips. It's a lot of them. Where should I start? <laughs> uh, probably with the most memorable. <laughs> uh, yeah, so maybe just uh, some of the uh, the fish you've caught. Maybe start there. Um, be honest, my favorite my favorite trips are when we go out and catch the stingrays. Catch some amazing stingrays, nice size stingrays. Uh, I think the biggest one we caught was like almost 170 pounds. Yeah, that's like a. The fight on them is amazing. Uh, a lot of people don't think about catching stingrays because, you know, a lot of people think they're nasty to eat or whatever. But I just, I just like to get out there and just to feel the power of them on the other end of that line. Oh man, it's amazing. It's great. Um, yeah, we, I ran across one that was that actually pulled me back to the rail. I was walking back with him off my ride, and uh, he slammed me back onto the rail. Like pretty embarrassing. I had a boat full of people that day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So what happened? What, why, why was it embarrassing? Oh, just it, it just it was embarrassing because I fell. Oh. <laughs> okay, I missed that part. Like, trying to trying to just fighting him like I was walking backwards, and he gave a real good pull. And at the time he pulled like I was coming up off my foot, so it's like I just went straight forward to the rail. It's like my my chest slammed the rail so hard. It's <laughs> What's that? The air like left his body. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I know when we were on that uh, last trip, there was a pretty big stingray that really took two of y'all to pull in. And I think I, re I think I remember uh, maybe it was Riley that said it was about 110 pounds, or it was over 100. Y'all remember? For sure, that? for sure, over 100. Uh, we did this year. Really, we only caught we only caught maybe about six or seven of them that weren't over 100 pounds. I mean, most of them were that size. Wow. How many we caught this year, man? Uh, like every trip, we was pulling in at least three or four of them, yeah. you know, and, and nice, humongous ones. How about a shark? What are, what are some memorable sharks you pulled in? Uh, I, I'll never forget this shark here, man. Me and the captain had caught this with a nine-foot hammerhead shark. <laughs> uh, he had us on the side of the boat like some rag dolls, brother. <laughs> Pretty fun, though. Uh, like I say, we fought him for what? Like 45 minutes, maybe? About 45 minutes, we uh, we finally got him up to the boat. We had a younger kid reeling in. He was maybe, I'm maybe 18, you know, but he was a pretty stout kid. He was up at the front of the boat. We had traveled around the rig probably two or three times, you know, just because he kept swimming in big circles. Well, finally we got him up close, and I was like, Davis, get the rod. Get the rod from this kid because he was wore out. He was sweating. He was probably getting a little bit seasick from it. Finally, whenever we got him up there, I stuck him, and I, it was a good stick, right? But we're using little bamboo gaffs, and uh, <laughs> whenever I stuck that shark, he started thrashing, going crazy. Well, Davis is still hanging on to the rod. I was like, Davis, go get a rope. Well, we only had two gaff sticks on the boat at the time. Well, the, the kid that was reeling it in, I was like, hey, get this, get this gaff right here. 
as soon as he did, I was like, do not stick him in the tail. First thing he did, he swung and missed, swung and missed. Finally, the tail kind of swung up and he stuck it right in the tip of his tail. And whenever he did, that stick started vibrating in his hand. He was slapping himself in the face with it. After that, he was so beat up. Luckily, luckily, he, you know, he did have a good stick in it and he, he held through it. You know, he held out getting beat up and stuff. But it took us probably like 30 minutes trying to get a tail rope around him just because we couldn't get him in the boat. Our stick, they were all broken and like limb noodles in our hand. They were just shattered. We were pretty much just hanging on to them. That's, uh, that's crazy. So when you finally get the shark in the boat, what do you do after that? Uh, just kind of throw them in the cooler, keep them on ice, try to keep all the meat fresh for right now, you know? So y'all, y'all uh, filleted him up? No sir, no sir, not till we get to the dock. Like I said, we just keep keep uh, frozen pretty much, like I said, to keep the, mess, the meat kind of fresh, you know? Uh, we, we don't do any filleting on the boat uh, due to safety reasons and uh, coast guards. Yeah, but uh, I guess what, uh, what I meant was, he was, he was eventually filleted up and eaten a hammerhead. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Um, the people that took him, I, I think they came back up here a couple of days later, and they were telling us how much they liked it. Like, they wanted to go back out and do it again. You know, and I told them, like, whenever they're ready to come back, let us know. We, gonna, we yeah. got plenty of bonitas to get out there and chum. Send us some out and try to pull in a bigger one, you know? Yeah. So you've got... Uh, Let's talk about the, the stingray and the shark a little bit because a lot of people never caught one when they do. You know, that's not something you just put your fingers down there to take the hook out with, right? No, sir. No, sir. Uh, a lot of times, depends on how far down they got the hook in them. Like, if they got the hook in their lip, you can get a pair of hook out or supplies and kind of pop it out of them. But if it's too far down, you just had to cut that line, brother, because uh, unless you just want to lose a finger, <laughs> you can stick your hand down it. <laughs> What about that stingray? How do you control that tail whipping around? That, that's, that's, yeah. Uh, oh, okay, all right. Another I another stingray shit. story. Yeah, I had my shit. All right, let, let's hear about the stingray uh, tail whipping story. The best thing with the stingray, when you, when you get a stingray on deck, you just kind of give them space until you calm down, you know? Because that barb on them is it's so long and it's so much poison on them, you know? It's very powerful if they stick you up. You let them calm down and kind of flip them over on their backside to where they can't see you if you while you're behind them. Kind of, and then you can kind of cut it off. That way you don't have to worry. Or you can just chop the whole tail off. But me, I think it's kind of ugly if you chop the whole tail off. So you just cut the barb off, leave the tail on them, leave them looking pretty, you know. But uh, I had my experience about not not listening and flipping them over. I left them on the stomach one day when I when we caught them. It's only because I was I was kind of wild. I think it was like the sixth one we caught that day, and all of them was massive. I had him in front of the boat and I, and I had his tail up against the wall and I just kind of pushed down on the knife. And as soon as I got ready to position my hand right in the right spot, he pushed up on his tail real, bit, real fast and it went through my hand. Whoa. Yeah, so. Then, what'd you do then? Cried. I, yeah. <laughs> cried. Well, yeah, he cried. <laughs> yeah, I would too. I don't blame you, man. Yeah, ran up here, tried to suck as much poison out as I can and uh, clean it out with alcohol and peroxide. This is what the cleanest stuff we had up here. And, uh, just kind of like bleed it out a little bit. Like just keep trying to push as much out of it, much of it out as you can, so it doesn't irritate your hand so bad. Cause you're gonna feel it. It's, 
promise you, you're gonna feel it. What is it? Uh, is it what's, what's the uh, sensation like? Is it burning? Does it get numb? Yes, what does it do? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, it starts off you you're swelling, of course. You know. Yeah. The swelling, then uh, I say an hour or so pass by, it's gonna start. It's gonna start off numb. You're gonna get real numb. You know. You're not gonna feel nothing in it. You're gonna think everything is okay. You're gonna go home and take a shower. You know. But by the time you get out that shower. You lay down and get comfortable, it's gonna feel like somebody set your hand in a bowl of fire. Wow. So then what do you do? And this is after you try to get as bleed out and get as much poison as you could, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, the, the best thing to do is kind of get, get you a warm bowl of water with some vinegar and kind of sit your hand in there. And, you know, as water cools off, you keep changing it out until the, the feeling goes away. But, um, me personally, I didn't do anything. I kind of sat there and shook my hand and like a dummy in pain and <laughs> calling him like, Captain, I can't come to work today, <laughs> you know? We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Pitney Properties. Pitney Properties provides real estate services to buyers and sellers located in and around the Houston area. Having been raised in Texas, LeVon Pitney is incredibly well-versed in the area's housing market and always manages to find her clients those hidden gems that other agents tend to overlook. LeVon's relentless style and integrity allow her to hold client satisfaction at her highest priority. She works hard to make the entire home buying and selling experience as is productive and enjoyable as possible. Whether her clients are first-time buyers or seasoned investors, LeVon works tirelessly to accommodate their needs and exceed their expectations. To learn more about LeVon's real estate services, please don't hesitate to call her today at 713-805-8871. That's 713-805-8871. Or contact LeVon Soul at Whitney Properties. stuck with the um, with the bar Captain Riley you pretty much had to take off I mean you, he couldn't do too much after that or, no. or, or you, but, could, but you had to drive the boat too so how, how did you handle that situation uh, well you know like you said the first really that first hour you're not really thinking anything of it just goes a little bit numb but as soon as he did it I had told him I was like I'm gonna have to find somebody for you tomorrow and sure enough the next day he'd come you know we got the boat back in and stuff he was fine you know, there was it's only a four-hour trip but uh, the next morning comes he was like hey hey Raleigh uh, <laughs> so I, I can't I'm not gonna be able to come to work today man my hands all swollen up arm was on fire and then and it's not just where you get stung at you know there's a I mean it'll travel up your body it'll travel up it and as soon, but as soon as he called me I was like it's okay I know I already got somebody I knew that was gonna happen told me the day before we got back to the dock he was like I'm gonna find somebody to work for you tomorrow I'm like ah man it ain't nothing but this thing I'll be here tomorrow I ain't tripping like I get stung by catfish all the time I uh, it didn't work that way <laughs> yeah so you woke up 
probably you couldn't move your hand, right? No, I couldn't even close it. Like the swelling was so bad, and I couldn't even close my hand. So, what was the total recovery time, if you remember? Uh, before I can just come back to work, at least a week. Wow. Just for me to, you know, be able to close my hands and stuff. Yeah. But uh, I want to say what the the actual sweat, the whole thing actually went down with like a month later. You know, like completely. Wow, okay. I'm gonna like, like, say it like this. I got stung in my hand, this finger here. The rest of them swelled up, but they only stayed swollen for like a week. This finger here stayed swollen for the rest of the month. I got stung on my birthday, June 30th. It didn't go down to like July 28th, July 29th. That's, that's not a very good way to celebrate a birthday, Davis. Oh, no, I was mad. I was very upset. They didn't go, I couldn't do nothing I wanted to do. I was too busy in the bed just shaking my hand from being, feel like it was burning up, you know? Yeah, so for people weight fishing, to get, to get stung in the leg, I mean, you're talking about probably not being able to walk or you need to get out of the water pretty quick. Yeah, yep, exactly. Uh, that, that's the only time I've ever been stung by one. Luckily, I got stung by just a little one. It wasn't even a, I had seen him. I was just really messing around with him, just trying to swim away from him. But uh, a lot of times, uh, those stingrays, they'll follow in your track. You know, you're scooting a little culvert trying to slide your feet. They'll swim over down in that little crack and they'll follow you. You're kicking up shrimp and crab. And, uh, you know, like I said, mine was small, but he stuck me in my foot and it was, it was immediate. I was like, oh, well, take me to the hospital. I went to the hospital. They were like, there's, you know, dude, there's nothing we can do. There's not like some kind of anti-venom or something like, you know, something like that. So, so uh, they just put my foot in some warm water and they, they, you draw the poison out. That's what David was saying earlier. Use that vinegar and draw that poison out. But uh, other than that, you know, I just put my foot in the wa in water and you can walk on it. You'll hurt a little bit, but you'll be fine. You're going to survive it. Yeah, so, so, um, talk about what's going on in the world right now. Pretty crazy times. Uh, we're actually recording on, I don't even know what today, what is it, March 12th or 13th, something like that? Yeah, it's Friday. 13th. Oh, Mar March 13th, okay. And we're, um, we're in the midst of a coronavirus right now. This is 2020, so kind of at the beginning stages of it um but the, the news is getting pretty scary i mean they're canceling events public big public events nba concerts pga golf tournament but we are fishing so um but how, how has it affected port aransas have you noticed any effects in the numbers of people fishing or anything like that honestly i have not um it's, it's spring break right now. I guess this is the first week of spring break. So it, it really kind of got big down here at a good time. You know, it's not like everybody's going out or going to school or whatever. You know, we, we get a lot of kids right now. So I don't think it's really, uh, it's not necessarily as bad as what you might think over here anyways. But I'm sure in Corpus, you know, like Corpus ISD, Ray Miller and all those, I'm sure those schools are probably taking a little bit serious, I guess like the summer schools or after school credits, stuff like that. I know they're doing online classes and stuff. Texas A&M Corpus is doing online classes. A lot of people haven't been going in there. So, I mean, 
I'm a little bit worried about it. I keep, look, I got hand sanitizer right here by me. There's another big bottle down there. The only thing that I don't get about it is why is everybody taking all the toilet paper? I don't get it. You know I mean, I just don't understand that part of it. Yeah, that that's a good question. I was listening to uh, Governor Abbott was uh, on the social media talking just just before we came on the boat and he was saying look stop buying all the toilet paper and sanitizer and water you know this is not a hurricane this is this is a whole different situation so i don't know what started all that but i will say coming from houston all the grocery stores were just empty i mean you can go on just about any social media platform and see empty shelves and so one of the first things i did uh when i got here is i went to y'all store the uh ig yeah, and uh, they had toilet paper, so I bought it. <laughs> I need to take it back home with me, but uh, yeah, this is uh, it's a very uh, unusual situation, and hopefully, this will all go away soon. So, um, I see an oil rig ahead of us. Is that where we're heading? Yes, sir, that's where we're going. And about uh, how far out offshore is that? That's it's almost seven miles, pushing like six and a half. We're about we're about three miles, two and a half miles away from it right now. And one thing I, I was uh, really impressed seeing Davis last time we is, is tying up to that oil rig. I mean, those are some pretty pretty big pipes, and when this water's bouncing this boat around, tell me tell me a, a little bit about that. Uh, what how you, some of your techniques, how that works of tying the boat onto a rig. <laughs> uh, I ain't too great at it, to be honest with you, man. I, <laughs> well, just the fact on, that man. you can, man, is, yeah. uh, is amazing to me. Yeah, uh, it takes a lot of practice, man. I, I didn't grow up lassoing ropes and stuff like that, so it, it, like I say, everything was new coming out. And the captain, I, I would actually stand up there starting off. I used to stand up there and ask the captain which way to hold a rope just to throw it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, finally got that down, Pat, so it's just like, it's more like a timing with the wave and the wind you know what I'm saying to try to get it onto that pipe I, it's not really I don't really use too much of a tactic you know I just try to just keep trying yeah. <laughs> well you get the job done and, and, and why is it important that we tie up to a rig for people that don't fish in the Gulf of Mexico and these are these are wellhead uh, offshore oil rigs some of them are dormant some of them are alive so Captain Riley, you want to talk about why why uh, why we fish the rigs over here in Texas? Uh, well, just these few out here. A lot of them that have been inshore are all being capped off. You know, I mean, they're just cutting them off, and they still leave them up. But I think really what they're doing is making a better ecosystem out here. You know, there's not a whole lot of uh, there's not any structure or anything. We got, I think there's three jetties maybe from here all the way down to Brownsville. So there's not too much structure. The inshore fishing is, you know, it's it's good for the economy. And if if there's nothing here, nothing that's going to bring the fish, it doesn't attract the fish, then nobody's going to want to fish here. Nobody's going to want to go to the grocery store, buy a case of beer to go fishing. Nobody's going to want to go to the grocery store, get some steaks, get some hot dogs, go out to the beach and, you know, barbecue and fish. So I think that's kind of what's going on. Um, they just put in that new port maybe two years ago. So, uh, and they're bringing all those old wells in, and I think they're fixing to bring them all back out here and kind of start a new little fresh fresh ecosystem, fresh kind of, you know, just water cycle going on, especially after the hurricane and stuff. 
because that really that really wiped out everything. Um, once we get up here to these rigs, you'll see, you can see what the hurricane done to them. They'll have pipes and stuff laying over, you know, rusted boards, rusted cables, everything just falling off the top of them. And of course, the uh, hurricane that Captain Riley is referring to is Harvey, which is now about two and a half years ago. It's back in 2017. This is, uh, as we said, 2020. And Port Aransas, um, that's where Harvey made landfall. And folks here saw winds of up to 130 miles per hour. They saw a storm surge. I just talked to our cab driver, Chip, on the way over here. And he, he said, uh, and I'll quote him, Chip said, like a dumbass, I stayed here and rode it out. And uh, you know, he said that storm surge was about 10 feet. It, it only lasted about 45 minutes, but that's a long 45 minutes. How about you guys? What was your personal experience like with Harvey? Uh, I was I was still in Louisiana when Harvey hit, sir. Yeah, so so I, you got a lot of rain. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> How about you, Captain Riley? Were you here during Harvey? I was here the day after it, but I actually I went up to East Texas where I'm from, stayed with some family and stuff up there. But I remember the day after it, I was coming back across the ferry, and the ferry has those those big clusters, the things that they kind of bounce in, in and out of. And uh, there was a ferry sitting on top of one of them, and I guess the ferry probably has a six, seven foot draft. Yeah. So the water was at least that high, and then another six foot up above that, in order just so that ferry would be able to sit on top of it. The ferry was all laid sideways. I mean, it was, it was pretty much sunk. Well, and so with, with that math, I mean, that storm surge could have definitely been 10, 10 feet or even more. I think probably more. I was probably pushing, it was probably pushing 20 foot, I, I think. I mean, those clusters, they probably set about 10 foot out of the water. If they're running a six foot draft, that's at least 16 foot out of the water. So the very next day after Harvey, the ferry was operational? Yes, sir, it was. And what did you see once you crossed the island? across the ferry it was really it was total destruction uh, there were no trees there was it was nothing all of the uh, every store that was here even the dock the dock where we're at uh, it was it was blown over there's nothing there it was just a clean slit of concrete that's all it was the only thing i think that was still here was uh there was a telephone pole that was right in the middle of the uh of that little fish shack it was a telephone pole right in the concrete and they never cut it down they just concreted around it well the only thing there was that little telephone pole and it was broke off like four foot from the bottom that was it wow and is it safe to say that what you see on tv after a storm and you see a storm level out of town it doesn't do it justice unless you see it in person is that uh, safe to say that is that is totally correct you know it, I didn't know too many people from here but you know I live in Aranda's Pass my house it was okay you know we were missing shingles our fence and stuff was gone but to see the amount of destruction that it did to these people here it, it would it would make you cry really because if, if if you had any kind of family or anybody that stayed here they they surely would have died I mean there was no if, if you were anywhere clear, no, close to the water you're done for I mean yeah there's still people working on their houses now from the hurricane, you know. It, it was bad. Like I said, I came a while after the hurricane, and it was still boat sticks stuck on the side of the road and stuff like that, you know. It was, 
yeah, there's a couple of uh, hotels meet down by where we're staying uh, that are uh, under construction that were, you know, we're here during Harvey, I'm sure. And uh, and Captain Riley, you say you live in Aransas Pass, which is just on the other side of the uh, ferry ride. I mean, literally just across the intercoastal waterway, maybe a quarter mile across or something like, and the difference in destruction in that short of a distance is pretty amazing. Uh, would you say the difference was because of the storm surge? Yes, for sure. Having to, for the storm to have to cross the uh, the bay and all the well, really all the buildings and everything that that were there, um, it's it's like a little it's like a little barrier reef. You know, the bay kind of acts as that. It kind of acts as the flats. All the dunes and stuff that are built up right there. Uh, it for sure that definitely is what saved Aransas Pass. And don't get me wrong, some of the some of the little stores and shops that were close to the bay. They got flooded out. They might not have gotten blown over, but they for sure all got flooded out. Right there at, uh, at Colin Brown Harbor, right across the bridge there, all of those shrimp boats and stuff, they were, uh, they had went down south and all of those buildings, they were all destroyed. I know there was a little, I guess it's a Vietnamese family, real nice guy. I mean, I, I like to go in there and talk to him just because he tells me a bunch of shrimp and stories and stuff. But, uh, I always buy my shrimp and stuff right there from him and he was like, yeah, man, this whole shop just got a bunch of insurance money fixing to build me up a brand new one and he sold, he sold both of his other boats and then used a little bit of his money to get him a brand new, nice, bigger boat, a bigger shrimp boat. And he, he's a pretty nice dude. He's pretty cool. Yeah, that's good. So you came the next day. <clears throat> How long did it take for you to become operational again fishing? and everything were operational it was more of like nobody wants to go fishing right now we're trying to fix stuff it wasn't all we took all the boats down south to that port uh, I don't know whatever port it was I can't remember but uh, all the loads of stuff went down there all the crew all the families most of the families anyways they had all come down here they hopped on the boats and they they drove them down there this boat was actually just drug down there they used it for storage just tied a rope onto it and drug it down there but um, Scotty on the Dolphin, he was he was telling me, and Scotty's the slow boat again, remember? Yeah. Um, he was telling me coming back into the harbor, all the other boats had left him because he was going too slow. But whenever he got back into the harbor, he was scared to come in because there's there's no lights, there's no nothing. Remember, I mean, everything is destroyed, and oh, yeah. as soon as it starts getting dark, you don't realize how much uh, the city itself actually produces a little bit of light. And whenever he was coming back in, he was like, dude, it's pitch black. I have my lights on, but you can't see anything. You can see six foot off the boat and that's it. And he was afraid of running over a sailboat. So the, the following morning, once they got everybody tied up. Uh, that would be scary. Once once they got all the boats and stuff tied up, as soon as the sun came up, if to, for somebody to drive through that without being able to see, you would be actually amazed at yourself and surprised that you actually did it without running over something. That's how many boats and stuff. They were just crashed, just waves washed them up onto land. The, a lot of sailboats, uh, they were sunk, but their their mass, I guess, their, their sail, they were still sticking up out of the water. So it was like, if you would've just made two foot that way or two foot this way, you would've ran over something. And it probably sunk your boat right there too. Wow. And correct me if I'm wrong, but 
was Port Aransas under martial law for a, a period of time after Harvey? I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you. I'm not real sure about that. Yeah, I, I thought I'd heard that somewhere, but uh, I, you know, what, nothing, nothing official. I was just where I was going with that was, um, you know, to rebuild a town. I mean, yeah, you get government assistance and that kind of thing but it, but it really comes down to community people helping each other and that kind of stuff yeah, yeah that is a uh, that's correct really uh we had so many I, I my one of my buddies i went to college with his mom works here at the uh, community center in port a well she was asking she was like hey if any of your families or anything have anything done we have a bunch of people they were coming down from like michigan you know massachusetts they were coming down whole teams you know and they were just pretty much free labor if you needed help with something they would gladly do it my uh, my dad and i we both have we both have trucks and we got them at the alan samuels dealership there in in aransas well he had teams he had stores and all of their workers and stuff come down here like from houston and san antonio they all came down here and and it's a it's a Dodge dealership, so it's a lot of trucks. Everybody's got a truck that works there, pretty much. You know, get a good deal on a truck. Yeah. Well, they were all coming down here. I remember driving all the way to like Rockport on the backside of Rockport, dropping off water and MREs and stuff. And the military, there was something else cool. Uh, so being an MRE, it's not really that great. Well, the military guys were parked right there at the uh, police station. They had a bunch of trucks and stuff passing on MREs. We had went over there to them and. They were, we had a big barbecue pit at the time. We were just trying to get rid of, we had no power, so we had a bunch of beef and stuff, just brisket and stuff in the freezer. We were just trying to barbecue it all so it never went bad. And people were walking up to us like, hey, can we have a plate? Yeah, sure, go ahead, you know, passing out barbecue. People would go and bring us corn, like street corn. We'd do street corn right there on it. And uh, all the, I mean, all the military guys, they were coming over there. They were asking to get plates too. We were giving it to them. It was, it was a good time. It was just good to see everybody like yeah you know it we really just got screwed over but at least everybody's enjoying like you know who doesn't love barbecuing out in the middle of nowhere y'all made the best of it it sounds like it really was a lot of fun at, at, at times i i remember going through alicia back in 1983 uh which was august 17th in houston and um my friend and i we were out pulling cars out of flooded water and that kind of stuff and and that was all fine and great but after the storm left and reality kicked in and the reality was no air conditioning and no water for a couple days what was that part of it like for you and and how long did it take to restore power and just basic things like power and water we uh it probably took well like i mean like i said they had a bunch of teams and stuff coming up from from you know other states and some of them were where were electrician teams, I guess. They had brought big trucks. I remember a big convoy of, like, the jack-up trucks, I guess, the telephone pole trucks, whatever you call them, I don't know. Um, I remember seeing, like, 20 of them come down here, and it was, like, I'd say it probably took a month before everything really got power back on, but, you know, in reality, a month doesn't seem that long to do every single neighborhood, every single house, every single store. So it wasn't that bad, and we had a generator and stuff at the house. We kind of just we camped it out for a little bit it wasn't bad yeah that's it is pretty amazing right how fast they can get that stuff uh, I mean when it's hot a month seems like a long time but like you say with every single dwelling that uses electricity and 
and water, it, it uh, goes relatively fast. So, well, I know we're getting close to this rig, and I know you've got to, uh, you and Davis got to uh, get ready to, to tie us up. So, uh, maybe we'll catch a bunch of fish and chat a little bit more after after the fish. Yes, sir. That sounds good. So we're headed back. We're done fishing now. I'm sitting up here uh, on top of uh, Captain Riley, and we got a cooler full of fish. Man, that was an absolute blast. And that little drum run right at the end, that was pretty sweet. Yeah, that was awesome. Got three bull reds at the end of that. Um, that really kind of iced the cake right there. That was a pretty good day. That was a good day. Yeah, so uh, it's something to keep in mind, too. If you're listening outside of Texas, make sure you bring a red drum tag have it on your license because that's the only way you get to keep one and so uh, we have one and we're going to be able to enjoy our drum and it was a nice fish what a what a beautiful day and, and uh, as a bonus the sun came out at the end too right yes sir yeah yeah came out started heating up there did a pretty good day i think your wife got like four sheep head got a big bull red uh, also called a little a little puffer fish i'm not real sure what kind it is yeah that was uh uh, my stepdaughter Lauren, she caught, uh, yeah, she caught a, a blowfish. I think is what, uh, what it, I, th I thought I heard. But anyway, yeah, that was a very cool looking fish. How often do you see those? Because that's the first time I've ever seen one caught in the Gulf. I've I've only ever seen three of them, three of them like that caught, but never. I mean, we catch these little tiny fish inside the bay and stuff, and those guys aren't poisonous. But the only three of those, I've never seen anybody grab them, and Davis grabbed them. So I don't know, he, he said he was itching after that, after rubbing it on his arm and stuff. So it might have been a little bit poisonous there. I know whenever they blow up, they don't have real big sharp barbs like the, you know, like the ornamentary stuff and see just a real tiny little needle-like, I guess. Yeah, and I experienced the same thing when I caught that marlin down in Cabo. I held that thing and then my arms were itching for, you know, a good 30, I don't know, 30 minutes to an hour afterward, but still worth the catch. Right, yes sir, yeah. I know, I wish I would have been there to Cabo with you. What if you send those to me? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll post those. Uh, I have another dude, he comes out here all the time, an older guy. He actually just went fishing in Cabo also. His name is Dave, and he uh, he does the same thing. He'll send me his pictures and stuff. He's he's old, so he doesn't have any kind of social media and stuff like that. He's like, hey, hey, can you, can you let people see this? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, sure, man. But he went fishing in the rivers and everything. He was catching... He caught a bunch of peacock bass and like some little weird looking drums, I guess. But uh, they were pretty cool. Like, this bunch of little, I got a bunch of pictures of it too. Yeah. Sorry, Davis. Am I standing on your line? Davis trying to get his line out. Yeah. So um, we're headed back in. It's it's uh, about 4.30 in the afternoon. And you mentioned you have a dolphin tour too. So you, uh, you do more than fish on this, uh, correct? Yes, sir, I do. I, uh, Usually in the afternoons, if we get enough people, we'll do a, just an hour and a half little dolphin cruise, watch the sunset. Usually everybody just come out here to get drunk, honestly. They'll, they'll bring their kids, like two kids or whatever, and they just want to come out and drink for an hour and a half and be just enjoy the water. Yeah, and it's going to be a nice night. It's uh, Like I said, the clouds have seemed to have gone away. It's still a thin layer, but the sun's out, and it's, it's a beautiful March day in Port Aransas. Well, I guess we'll wrap things up for this one. Captain Riley, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, uh, I know we're gonna have the information about how to how to find your um, your place down in Port Aransas, but uh, any any uh, tips on how to get a hold of you and, and actually book a fishing trip on the flipper on your boat? On the flipper, 
Well, I mean, I can give you guys my number. That'd be okay. I mean, I can give you all my number. Y'all can call, text, do whatever, and I can put you guys on the books. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, all right, my number is 936-355-6460. That is a, uh, it's a Huntsville number. That's an East Texas number, but that's because that's where I'm from. Right, so that's your personal cell? Yes, sir. That's my cell phone number. Oh, well, there you go. It doesn't get much better than that. Now you have direct access to the captain of the flipper. Come down here and fish in Port Aransas. It's a great time. The, the people in the town are awesome, and uh, we make sure we get over here at least a couple times a year. I, I can do it a lot more than that. Thanks again, Captain Riley. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys.